We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 97. Our guest today is a five-time Olympic athlete. She has been a two-time Olympic silver medalist in team jumping. She has been a part of 47 Nations Cup teams and three World Equestrian Games representing the United States. She is obviously an incredible rider, incredible athlete, but she's also a fantastic trainer. She has uh, created resources and videos to be able to teach riders all over the world in any type of level, any type of economic status, and has made her talents and abilities available to all of these riders. So she has done an incredible job giving back to the community. So I'm just so excited to have her on. So let's welcome our guest today, Anne Krasinski. Well, I would love to hear how you first started riding and and what that was like for you to your beginning stages in the equestrian world. Well, I started riding when I was four years old. So when I was very young in California at the Flint Ridge Riding Club, my family had joined the riding club and mother had ridden, you know, just for fun. So that's how I started riding at the riding club on school horses. And uh, it's always all that I ever wanted to do. And, and then, you know, grew up through the school horses. And I think got my own my first horse when I was about 11. And just, you know, showing in the hunters and equitation and that Mm -hmm. kind of kid. And then as I got a little older, then started into the jumpers in my end of my junior years. Cool. When you were riding as a junior, what was your mentality as far as like how you were treating riding? I mean, I know you said from the beginning you like really loved it and all, it's all you wanted to do. Were you thinking as by the time you were a junior where you're like, I want to do this full time. I want to go all out. What was your mentality there? I always, uh, I'm sure since I was 10, 11 thought, you know, this is what I want to do. If I can do this for the rest of my life, you know, how how fun that would be amazing. And, and then getting into, you know, getting a little older and, and still in my junior years, but, you know, showing in the equitation and the hunters and the jumpers and, and really looking at it, like I'd like to do it professionally. And when I ended my junior year, I I did turn professional right away. I never showed in the amateurs or anything. I went right to work for Jimmy Williams, who I was riding with at the time and, and just turned professional immediately. That's all I wanted to do. And I, yeah. Lucky I got to do it. What was that transition like for you going from junior to professional? You know, it was at the time it it was easy. It was rather seamless because even as a junior, I was riding some of uh, the clients' horses, say in the junior classes, even in some of the open, you know, open hunter classes, green hunter classes, preliminary jumpers and intermediate and things. So, so I was already doing it as a junior, riding a lot of different horses and for, for different owners at the riding club and things. So there was just no question when I, you know, turned 18 that I was going to be a professional and, and a little different than it is today. I think, you know, some maybe don't do it quite so quickly. Others, others do, but it, no, it was just sort of that, that of, course, of course, that's all I, of course, that's what I was going to do. Amazing. At that point in time, when you were finishing out your junior career, what were some shows that you were attending? Were you traveling a lot? Were you staying put? What, what did your schedule look like? 
Well, I was in California. So, so traveling from show to show in just in California, mostly, you know, Del Mar, Santa Barbara, Indio, sometimes up to Menlo up north, the Cal mm-hmm. Palace. But even in when I was still in, in high school, so sort of 76, I would think I was still in high school, I did show at Spruce Meadows. I was on the U.S. team at Spruce Meadows. And, and even then is when I really was like, oh man, I'd love to do this international, more international. I was doing it. Uh-huh. it was sort of the second year of Spruce Meadows ever being, you know, in history. And and uh, so to get a taste of international competition, you know, in the big field there was like, oh my God, you know, this is, this, I'm going to keep going. I want to do more of this. Totally. What brought you over to New Jersey then? Well, to, to ride on the team and, and that yeah. kind of thing. And um, then in sort of 81 is when, when I first came East. Well, actually I, I came East. I rode in the finals at Madison Square Garden and at Harrisburg. And so as when I was a, still a junior, I'd done that, got ribbons in the finals, both of mm-hmm. those plays. Did that a couple of years. But then, then really, you know, if you want to you know, go to the Olympics or anything, you know, you've got to come to the East Coast. And 81 is the first year I came East and brought some horses from California to the East Coast and did hook up with George Morris then. First came by myself, but hooked up with George then and ended up the end of that year showing a horse named Third Man that was in George's barn. And so that was exciting. And you know, really, that's when it was, well, yeah, I'd really like to do this more internationally. So that's what really brought me to the East Coast, to ride with George. I even lived at Gladstone briefly at the okay. USCT course when people weren't really living there much. And Bert Denemothy was still there. And I got to ride with Bert a little bit. I'd ride at George's at Hunterdon and then also a little bit with Bert there at Gladstone. So that was really amazing. And 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 then even from that, I was just talking to somebody the other day about, they were talking about the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles and already <laughs> thinking about that. And But that was part of it. And in uh, looking at the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984, in 81, it was, yeah, I want to go to the Olympics. And I had this a lot of uh, support from the riding club, the, the riding club. And so with my family and some members of the riding club, you know, to buy a horse to, to try to get to the Olympic Games. And and that all happened. It was really a kind of a Walt Disney-like story. But, you know, we got this horse named Livius that George found and Jimmy helped put the deal together. And yeah, with the idea, it was written into this California limited partnership. It was a partnership or a syndicate kind of horse. And it was written in there that we were going to the Los Angeles Olympics, you know, in 1984. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah and, and anyway, that was, you know, following my dreams and it, it worked out. Wow. That's amazing. So you're a five-time Olympian. Obviously, we, we talked about how this is something you always wanted to do. When you went from junior to professional, did you have your sights set on the Olympic Games pretty early on? Or Tell me a little bit about that process of getting to your first Olympic Games. Yeah, I did. You know, as a little kid, you know, I'd look at all the picture books. There were, were these mostly black and white, you know, books with uh, famous horses and riders and, you know, Bill Steinkraus and Mary Chapeau and from Germany. And I mean, all these, Eddie Mackin from Ireland, all these famous mm-hmm. rider horses. And, oh, I'd pour over them and read about them. And so it was the Olympic dream was really mine when I was little. And I don't think I talked about it very much because it was, I didn't think probably it would ever really come true, but, but it was, you know, for sure ever since I was a little kid and, and being fortunate there at the Flint Riding Club, 
even though it didn't happen often, but Mary Marchapeau had ridden there with Jimmy and, and of course, Robert Ridland, our chef today, he rode with Jimmy and, and they went on to go to the Olympics. And so, so I think it was fortunate also that the Los Angeles Olympics were happening in 84. And so this, you know, groundswell of the people that wanted to be supportive. And so, as I say, we got Livius in, in 81 and hooked up with George to how do I get to the Olympics pretty much? And, you know, go to the world cup finals, you've got to get to the Pan American games, you know, you have to show in Europe. There was, you know, he had taken many riders to international success and to the Olympics. So really followed his guidance and training and everything, but to, to really get there. And, you know, I was fortunate to, to have that horse and then some other nice horses, but it was really Olivia's that, that sort of focused on and, and got to go to the world cup finals and, got to show in Europe. And I, and I was this young kid then riding on the East coast, you know, with this girl from no, nowhere. I mean, from California, but um, thinking, yeah, this is what I want to do. And anyway, qualified to go to the Pan American games and won, you know, individual and team gold medals there against all these famous older riders, mm-hmm. <laughs> early twenties. And, and from there, and then won the Grand Prix of Rome, Italy, which I, I don't think it was the second woman to win it or something. And, you know, really just amazing, you know, in my twenties. And that was all getting ready, you know, preparing me for, for the Olympics. And, and then in 84, you know, qualified to go to the Los Angeles games and which was just amazing right there. And I'm from Pasadena, California, right there next to Santa Anita racetrack where the games were. And so very, very exciting. In the end, I was named as the alternate, you know, I was the youngest one. It was a fabulous team with Joe and Conrad Melanie Smith, Leslie, Leslie Burr Howard. And so, so it was, it was a little bit bittersweet because I was named as the alternate, but of course to be there and have made mm-hmm. it and all of that experience. And so, so it was a fabulous, fabulous, amazing experience. And after that, I thought I want to do it again, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, sure. <laughs> I mean, at that point in time, when you got home from your first Olympic games, what was your kind of mentality? I mean, were you planning already for the next one? What, what kind of steps did you have in place to make that happen again? Yeah, so absolutely. Of course, it, all I could think about then was, oh God, I went and I got that close and I want to do it. So, mm-hmm. so that was probably every day on some level in my head in a way, showing and competing and, and then trying to find, get another horse that could, could do it, you know, that probably Livius wouldn't get another four years out of him. And and so riding other horses, still working with George, developing a little bit of my own business at George's in New Jersey. But re- honestly, to find another top, top horse, and, and I did, and that was Starman, and Fran Steinwoodell bought him for me to ride. He was a stout German stallion, and with the hopes of going to the Olympics, and I got him 87, and then, then the games were in 88 in Korea, and sort of, I had already been through the process. I understood, you know, had the qualifying, the trials, all of that. And, uh, and Starman was just a great horse and, you know, got through, again, went to Europe, we had great results, we won the Nations Cup at Hickstead, different, you know, different places, had a great tour in Europe. And, and then, yeah, let's get, go to the next games. And gosh, I was lucky and I qualified to go to Seoul, Korea, and, and which was amazing also that, that wow. not being, Home. You know, not LA was was really like being at home. Korea was totally, totally different, and was just an amazing experience. And and there we won the team silver medal, and uh, Starman was fabulous. And and I finished fourth individually. You know, just missed a uh, missed 
an individual medal for the rail down. So again, a hair bittersweet, but still, I mean, to win a silver medal and to be on the team and, and to finish fourth individually, all of that was, you know, again, just so, so, so exciting. You know, amazing experience. Totally. When you were looking for horses and, and now today, when you look at horses, is there a common thread or certain specific things that you look for to really click with your style of riding? Yeah, for sure. I like a light horse, even though both Livius and Starman were, were both German horses, but they were light. They had blood, they, not a heavy, heavy, heavy kind of German horse. And, and since then, the breeding has even changed now. It's more, even more modern and lighter and more thoroughbred kind of blood in them. But for me, definitely a kind of a lighter horse. I I like a two-point, and I like to gallop and jump, and 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 Starman ended up being able to do that very, very well, and maybe he hadn't gone so great in sort of a German style of a deeper seat and that kind of thing. He he was great at galloping and jumping. So so for me, you know, a lighter horse, a horse that I you can ride forward, I have to be you know careful enough, you know, go to the Olympics, you know, you have to have huge scope. You know, I always felt like I could jump anything, you know, point him at a house and I could jump it. Yeah. Um, but, but light and careful and smart. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. Totally. And even, you know, riding Starman initially thinking, oh, I think I, he can go to the Olympics. I think he could, you know, go to the Olympics. And we got lucky. Wow. So special. That's so cool. Was there an Olympic Games that kind of like sticks out in your head that, you know, when you think about the highs and lows of your career, something that really, you know, sticks out as a high point for you? Oh, you know, all the all the games are so different. Each experience different, you know, marching in the the opening ceremonies like Los Angeles being this kid and it's like, oh my God, it's, you know, can you even believe it? Mm-hmm. Uh, then then I think with Eros in, in 96, again, back in, in Atlanta, back at home, was very, very exciting also. He was young, he was only nine and uh, more, uh, he was a thoroughbred, an Australian thoroughbred. And so again, to win the silver medal, team silver medal on him. And I think it was in the top 15 individually, but that was very exciting to, you know, win a medal at home, you know, be on that team. Yeah. That was very, very exciting. You know, they're all, all different experiences for sure. And, and riding for your country and, and all of that, that there's, you know, to be proud and, and to, you know, you're representing your country and trying to do the best you can. Uh, but mm-hmm. all these, you know, people a little bit, you know, backing you and, and hoping that you do well for them. Definitely. With all the success that you've had, and I mean, I mean, the Olympics is like the pinnacle, you know, the, the, some, the thing that so many people in this industry, as far as riding and training, strive toward. Do you find it difficult, like let's say after all of this, you know, finding motivation or certain things to strive towards, or do you feel like it just allows you to have perspective and tweak and adjust. What was that kind of like for you as you had been, you know, finishing up your Olympic Games and reached that pinnacle? Yeah, that's an interesting, that's a good question. Because, it, you know, it is hard to go from an Olympic athlete and that sort of getting older, all those things. You know, you can only do it so long, but I was so fortunate even then to go to Hong Kong. That was my last Games. and. Mm-hmm. I turned 50 and to really even be on the team again, I was an alternate, but so exciting to get to, and as you say, a different perspective at that point, it was like this young horse. And if we make it great, we make it. And I kept telling the owners, if it's too much, we're not going to go, you know, as as we 
the trials, but and really to enjoy the journey way more being being at that age, having done so much. Uh, so that was another great experience. And yet again, ended up being the alternate, but to be there and all of that was so exciting. But then, you know, and then, you know, competed. I mean, I still compete a bit now, but competed. But, you know, gosh, to find another top horse or what do you do? And right. for, for me, you know, yeah, for sure. Some of that is hard because you're um, competitive in that sense. And to do anything at that level, you know, the highest level. So even even afterwards and here at my farm, everything, I think I do at a high level and I expect a high standard just because of that, even if even if it's a little kid on a, on a, you know, lower level, yeah. level three foot hunter or three foot horse, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but keep, you know, that, that, that to, to be the best you possibly can be all of those things, a high standard and the care of the horses and all of that with the knowledge and experience I've had, everybody just gets that. Cause that's just the way I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, the personal part of it, of I'm, I'm very lucky to now be working with with Robert Ridland and the being in a development a development you know coach with the federation to be able to give back to the other younger riders I've always taught I've always loved to teach you know through all my Olympics and things I've always had students and t- taught and so I, I do love giving back to the sport and and being able to help other riders whether they're professionals or or young riders or whatever they are being able to share my experiences having having had oh ups and downs and you know you know, you lose more than you win really. And all of those things and, and having great horses and they get sold or they get hurt or, you know, some of your lifetime die. And, and so all of those experiences, being able to share that with younger riders and other riders and the, the highs and the lows. So I, I really do love giving back to the sport and giving mm-hmm. back to the because they've, it's all been so wonderful and amazing for me. So that part of my coaching and teaching and talking to other riders, I uh, I do I do love to share that and hope, as you say, you know, words of wisdom or been at it a long time. You know, <laughs> when people are, you know, their first some sort of experience, like, oh my God, you know, that happened to me twenty years ago or thirty years ago, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and life goes on. And, you know. Thanks to our sponsor, Trafalgar Square Books, we have a plethora of equestrian literature to choose from over at horseandriderbooks.com. Whether you're looking to fine-tune your riding or learn a new training technique, read an equestrian novel, or learn about neuroscience of horsemanship, you can find a book that suits your needs over at horseandriderbooks.com. Trafalgar Square Books does an amazing job of finding equestrian authors to really find a perfect book for you, no matter what you are learning or wanting to accomplish in your reading. So make sure you head over to horseandriderbooks.com and take a look at their hundreds of equestrian books. I don't know about you, but once you take a look, you are going to want to go through all of the collection. So thank you so much, Trafalgar Square Books. All right, let's head back to the episode. Something that you are so talented at is that you're an incredible rider, obviously, but you also are a passionate trainer. And I feel like there it used to be, I think even more so, such a strong mentality that you had to do both. But some people, you know, either like one or the other or don't only do one or the other. And I think it's really unique. I mean, w- with your book that you did with Trafalgar Square, the course, the step-by-step course for winning in the hunter and jumper rings, and then your online videos and, and your programs through there. I just feel like that is so neat to be able, like, like you were saying, to give back 
back and to share all of your knowledge. Can you tell me a little bit about the process in creating that book that you did? Yeah, the the book is, I'm so excited that it's out again now. This is like its third publication, but we totally redid it this this last year with color photographs and even a whole Hunter, Hunter Derby section to it before it was really, well, basic riding and jumping, but a little more than jumper oriented. And so to really have this new Hunter Derby cool. uh, chapter and, and a lot of talk about that preparation for your horses for the Hunter Derbies and the different courses and jumps and things. So really fun that that it's been so well embraced, the book, because it was, boy, I, well, I started, uh, the book actually started, I did, gosh, way back, I me mean, when Madison Square Garden was still going. <laughs> um, <laughs> Billy Steinkraus had talked to me then about uh, some articles with Practical Horsemen I had been doing and that I really should do a book. And it was great because he really spurred me on to do it and started with some articles. And then then it turned into a book. This Mandy Lorraine really wrote it with me and she did the photographs and things. So So it really has been started ages ago and, and as I said, it was published and this is the third go round, but it's so it's the good basics and things that I believe in and, and that I've added to it as like even this last one and then really changed it and added to it. And even I know a lot of the schools have used it as a textbook, which is fun, you know, a lot of these equine programs and things. And people that have come up to me for years and say, Oh my gosh, I love your book and I got Aww. so much and and that was even way before you know all this video stuff and online. So you know you really read books and yeah you know, had, yeah and had lots of photographs because they're uh, because of not having kind of the video stuff then. So it's exciting that it's out there. It's rebirthed and and I and I believe in all of it. And it was really fun to do these color photographs. And yet when as we were doing them, I thought God, but the black and white those were all perfect. You know, of course I was much them. <laughs> <laughs> but but fun to fun to get to redo it uh and 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 the same thing to give back and hope it helps riders and some professionals and let's say these school programs but you know to really my basic philosophy but just good basic horsemanship for riding and jumping and and you know to to be a better I don't know a better person with their horses you know trying to come from the horse's point of view how to how to be a better rider, you know, for your horse to get the most out of your horse. That's not, it's not just winning at any cost. It's, you know, improving yourself to be a better partner to your horse. Totally. Exactly. And I just love the videos that you have put together in the annual membership program for people to be able to learn from you. And, and you have virtual lesson opportunities and, and lots of different um, things in a, in a video capacity, which I, I feel like you are definitely a trailblazer in this area because there definitely are other video programs out there, but I think that's so cool that you have taken the time to be patient with technology and to put this together <laughs> because I feel like it's such an amazing opportunity for people to who either don't have access to you because you know of geographical purposes or financial reasons and to really have something that is super attainable for people to learn from the best. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that I did it. You know, when I first sort of started the video teaching, the online teaching was a little bit like, oh, you know, it's not, I, for sure, I'd rather be hands-on. There's just nothing like being with yeah. her. But in this day and age, and it's been out in the gosh, I don't know, five or six years, I don't know how long riding and jumping mentor has been out. But but as you say, to reach other people that maybe I couldn't get to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
travel around and give clinics and things, but, but to give people that opportunity to learn from me and see the videos. And, and I, again, I've gotten a lot of great feedback, how people have really enjoyed that. And then, and then this year with COVID doing even some, either people could send in videos to me and I can watch them and critique them. And, and that's been helpful and talk to the riders and, you know, get to know them a little bit. And some of even then after that come for lessons or met me at a show and, and then these live ones that really have worked out okay. Originally, it was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, this <laughs> and a little bit of the video stuff. It's not perfect all the time, the live. But but it, I have to say, it really does work. And I had talked with Debbie McDonald, you know, the chef of the dressage team, and because she had, I knew she had been doing a little bit of this live teaching, and she said, no, I think it's good and. It does perfect, but even when she had gone to Europe and had riders here in the states, she she could do some teaching, you know, online and and live and and I and I have to say, a lot of riders have gotten you know learned a lot from it. And in fact, there's this one gal from Texas who was just here in in New Jersey. Well, since COVID, she had every single week, almost every week, twenty seven weeks, we did these live video lessons wow. every week. Pretty cute. This professional. And uh, to see the improvement just in that time was amazing. And then it was cute because she came here to New Jersey for two weeks and rode with me and then did a, did a show here as well. Oh, and nice. to see it, it was just amazing and how much she's gotten out of it. And then again, she's a professional. So of yeah. course, what she learned with me and worked with me, she gives to her students, you know, the, the pebble in the pond kind of effect. Perfect. And, yeah. So, so really quite amazing in these times to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, she's quite a case study for you. Stephanie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's been quite amazing. Awesome. That is so cool. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? Well, I'm passionate on on the the pathway of the that the USHJA and USEF have for the young riders coming up, and really how to get, you know, to follow your dreams and and possibly get to the Olympics or at least get to a you know an international uh, on a on a real team. And when I was growing up, that wasn't there. You just went to horse shows, and then you know yeah. you got better lucky as I say got to go to Spruce Meadows or something and or got invited to a Burt Dinemothy training session at Gladstone sure so the this pathway with these different steps that you know going from all the way from the now the children's and the junior and the young rider you know those at the oh, the North American championships and then being able to go even to Europe and I've taken kids on a young rider tour to Europe and now these developing tours. So, so there really is something in place for that. That's one thing that, but more people are aware of that now and trainers and even parents being able to follow that pathway. The, another thing though, in this country that, and hopefully there's another program starting maybe next year, but for young horses in this country, mm. um, you know, today it's so expensive to have young horses, to bring them along in this country. Many, even many professionals and owners will buy young horses and leave them in Europe, mm-hmm. develop there and then bring them here or, or sell them. And I think to really have some more shows where the entries are lower, where the courses really are for the young horses, not just the five-year-olds being thrown in with the schooling jumpers or the meter right. 10 or something like that. 
And I think that's changing a bit in this country. It will help promote, you know, breeding here again, more in the States. You know, there have been in my career at different times. Okay, we're really going to try to have a young horse program. Linda Allen had one started years and years ago, but that kind of fizzled. So I think it's coming back this way. And I really think it is something that we in the U.S. should promote. And then also even that the younger riders can learn to develop young horses and get rides on the younger horses, along with how expensive top Grand Prix kind of horses are today. You know, they're millions and millions of dollars. Right. So, so buy a good young one, learn about the breeding, learn about developing them and, you know, and, and develop them and either sell them or again, take them, take them as far as they can go. Maybe, maybe you will get to the Olympics with them one day. So that's another that I think management and uh, horse show management and people to really focus on in this country. I think it's an untapped market uh, to somehow to, again, keeping the price down for the competition to develop that. I think that really could be something that really still could take off in this country. Mm -hmm, Definitely. What would be some advice that you would give someone, a young rider who has, you know, similar goals and aspirations that you had, but doesn't maybe have the resources or the connections necessary to climb the in through those steps what what kind of advice would you give them to really to follow your dreams for sure if you really have a passion for this whether you could you know get a working student job with somebody to you know a top uh, rider maybe you do have to groom or something but maybe mm-hmm. you uh, have to do that to get around Kent Farrington or a BZ or a somebody, or even somebody maybe a little little lower than them, but you know, head in that direction. To to look for work, hard work. You know, don't run away from that. To to really look, watch the others, ask questions. Mm-hmm. A lot of the don't mind asking questions if you ask question, you know, how did you get there? Or, you know, what advice do you have? Or could I be a working student for you? And they might say, oh, not for me, but I recommend you go to so-and-so. Sure. You know, that at least, at least looking for that, not, not just thinking, oh, I'm, somebody should hand it to me. You know, that mm-hmm. I don't think any of the great was ever handed to, you know, that you work for it, you find opportunities. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say, but I, but really that hard work, you know, I would ride anything, good, mm-hmm. bad, stopping, you know, yeah. time, whatever, but to learn and figure it out and make the horse go, go around, you know, hunters and jumpers and equitation is sort of did anything, ride anything to learn from that. And again, from that, because I was out there, not only was I improving by riding all the different horses, but, you know, people saw my, even there at the riding club, saw my passion and my desire, you know, desire. I'd be at the barn all day long to ride or to cool out a horse for, you know, Jimmy would be done riding and I'd get to get on and cool it out at the end of the evening, afternoon, after, after school or something. Mm-hmm. Setting jumps, you know, being there and by being there, you know, then there was opportunity. Hey, why don't you ride this horse? Yeah, maybe you could ride this horse today. And so that kind of thing of really being open to work hard and look for opportunity that way. And and from that, people will see your passion, you know, not not to be afraid of anything. To there's a difficult horse here, I'm gonna learn to ride it. You know, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna ride it, you know. Yeah. Learn from and from that, you learn and people see that. And then and then from there, you know, to and to always be thankful, to always be grateful for anything, you know, how you, 
how you conduct yourself also, that's so, so, so important. I think being humble, being eager to learn, being open to learn different things, not that this is the only way or my trainer said to do it like this. You know, if somebody else tells you to do something different, give it a try. Right. Being open to learn, open to trying new things. I mean, not if it really feels bad or somebody's, you know, abusing horses or something. I don't know, but yeah. Um, but generally that that being grateful showing your appreciation people will notice that you know even even myself right. you know whether room or somebody comes for a lesson you know I, I I teach people with not all the money and thing you know people come for lessons and you know but if they try hard or they're eager to learn or that you know there's just that feeling you know it's like guy you know I, I you really want to help them you want really want to see what you can do for them not Absolutely. not those that think that they're great and and not really open to trying something new or different so you know how you conduct yourself how you're out there and conduct yourself is important and 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 really enjoying as I say being thankful to ride anything as your as your client climbing the ladder for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's amazing advice. Uh, well, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. You are a wealth of knowledge and thank you just for taking the time. I know I wish you all the best. Well, thank you for asking me to, to be here. And as I say, I love to, you know, I'm thankful for all that the horses have given me in my career and my lifetime. And of course, all the people, owners and, and vets and trainers and all that the people have done in my lifetime. So for me and learning and growing and, and enjoying the journey. And so, so often the, even a podcast like this, you know, to help inspire somebody to be a better horseman or ride a little better, or work a little harder, or, or just enjoy the journey, all of the things. I'm so thankful for that. And whenever I can to help give back to the horses and the sport. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.